All right, all right. Welcome in to Educational Leadership on the Go. Excited to come to you today from the podcast studios. I'm flying solo without uh, my team here, Dr. Ryan Looning and uh, Dr. Jamie Wellborn, but I'm excited um, because we are on the guest trail today. We have a special guest, Dr. Craig Hamby. He is the director of elementary schools in the uh, Lindbergh School District here in St. Louis. Uh, welcome in, Dr. Hamby. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. All right. So a little extra bonus podcast here over the uh, Christmas winter break here and uh, excited to have uh, Dr. Hamby come in. So um how did I get to Dr. Craig Hamby? So we have a connection. So his wife, Heather, is an outstanding kindergarten teacher in my building. And uh, Craig and I have talked about doing this in the past. And then uh, it was funny. I think it was, what, a couple weeks ago. I know you went to a conference. And, uh, I did, up in Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah, and so um, she came into my office, said you went there, and her first words were, oh, my gosh. It's, he came back and said it changed my whole outlook on RTI. And then immediately. My first thought is, all right, we got to get him on the podcast then. Well, everyone's always excited to talk about RTI, right? <laughs> Everyone loves it. I travel across the country to learn about RTI. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it uh, very fortunate. Went to It's a Solution Tree conference I went to, uh, so the DeFores work up in Madison. And we are doing, in Lindbergh, we're doing a lot of work on our RTI. I've uh, been working on it for 12 years, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what's happened is the process based on new research, has kind of evolved quite a bit. And we went up there looking for one thing and came back with something else, and yeah. what I think is something better. That's awesome, because uh, that's kind of uh, how it usually goes, right? Um, and I think so many people go to conferences with kind of like a one-track mind, but if you can go in, stay and open-minded. And we're already off to a rough start, because remember, I was supposed to play, when I introduced you, I was supposed to play either Rick, uh, on the notes it says play Rick Flair entrance music or enter Sandman. So either one would have been fine. <laughs> There's or copyright. The, uh, or the 1990s Chicago no, I saw they're coming out with a. Did you see that they're coming out with a big ten episode on ESPN now, all about the nineties? No, Bulls. but I will be very. Oh, people in that. are super fired up. So digress already. Um, <laughs> that's so, my talent. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We, we do a pretty good job of it on here. Um, so as you think about RTI, I guess before we get into the conference per se and talk about um, kind of you know, where it changed your mind a little bit. What was your framework of mind going into it? All right. So we have six elementary buildings, two middle schools, one high school, two early childhood buildings at Lindbergh. And like I said, we've been working on RTI for about 12 years, and we lack some consistency across the district from level to level, from building to building. And this year, one of my colleagues, I need to give her credit immediately, is Dr. Jill Lawson. Uh, so every time I say we, I'm probably talking about me and her <laughs> awesome. uh, working on this stuff. And she is our director of student services and assessment. Uh, and this is just in her wheelhouse. So we decided we were going to, uh, it's always very important for us at Lindbergh to have equity among our buildings because we always talk about having a valid and reliable curriculum, meaning that if you go to one building, you're going right. to get the same education no mm-hmm. matter what classroom you're in, no matter what building you're in. And our RTI process was somewhat inconsistent through the building. So we felt like we wanted to put together um, a list of good interventions and some non-negotiables and kind of a framework. Buildings will still have some autonomy of what they're doing, but there would be some consistent outline 
at the, at the district level. Right. And so, you know, that's something, uh, and I even talked about it in our previous episode, uh, about the collective efficacy and the systems management, right? And so collective efficacy, the buy-in, first off, across the buildings that this is what's best for kids. And so building that up among the staff. And then also the system of, especially for, I think, somebody like yourself, even as a building principal, you can get locked into what works at Merrimack Elementary School or Sappington Elementary School. But then when you are somebody that's over the six buildings and you walk in one building and we're, we're, we're kind of identifying um, struggling students and working through assessments in one area here and then you walk across the, the street and you walk and you see it there, that, that, that doesn't allow for the alignment to make sure kids are educated, you know, equitable. Yes, and everyone, every building has its own climate, its own culture, its own identity, um, and they struggle with different things and they have different strengths. So, but there are things that we want to be consistent. And I'm glad you said collective efficacy because one of the first lessons we learned, we go up there, we're looking, oh, we'll come back with these interventions that we can put in place. And that was not what happened at all. We came back with the first thing we have to do is build a culture of collective responsibility, meaning that everyone's on board with this. And uh, the big message was that all means all when we're talking about <laughs> kids. Yeah. No one gets to sorry about this, but no child left behind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there, we still have a little work to do with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, we came away with the definition of any child who's going to be an independent adult, we ah. need to think about them. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we think, we work with special school district, so our special education programs, it's actually another district mm-hmm. uh, that works with those students. And sometimes there's a little us and them and, you know, passing things around, and we want to get rid of that and they're all our kids and we work with everyone together that's a that's a great way to start this is um and i like i saw in the notes as i was kind of preparing it did say one of the first things that you know the general idea and the one thing that we look for is intervention 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 and you know so many times on the podcast even our most recent one, we talked about we talk about what the goal is right like we got to get kids this intervention, but we never stop sometimes and talk about the process of getting them to the right intervention. And something that you said uh, off that, the collective efficacy, uh, I think of I think of the last name, Cruz, that I saw him. Um, and he's, Luis Cruz. Yeah, Luis, and he's, he's all about that, right? He's all, Luis Cruz is all about every child can learn. He every is, child. Um, so I've gotten to see him about four times now, and he's a very entertaining speaker. Uh, Luis Cruz, he works for Solution Tree, so right. he was up here yeah. talking about this. Uh, big PLC guy uh-huh. as well, and um, he's he came from Ecuador mm-hmm. uh, when he was a child. So, and he worked in uh, some at-risk high schools, and he's got a great story. Right, and but he kind of lived it where uh, don't leave, don't forget about any of these kids. Mm-hmm. They just because they don't speak the same language, that does not mean. Right. We need to make them successful. Right. So, uh, so the, uh, the collective efficacy part, uh, and, and it's funny, we just kind of got there. Um, and so one of the things that stood out to you and you, you got back, and, and that kind of, to me, I bet it kind of halts you in your tracks, right? Like you're, you're going, I'm looking for this, I'm looking for this. And then you think, well, crap. 
we're, we're trying to look five steps ahead and we still don't have everybody in the same boat. Um, and so bringing that back, I'm sure um, that's made you think. So just quickly, what are some things that you you guys are going to do you at, at Lindbergh to try to build that collective efficacy around RTI and the meaning of it? So the first thing we uh, so we really talked a lot at uh, in Wisconsin about having the leadership team who's going to be able to go out in the buildings and help us communicate this message of I'm calling it RTI 2.0 yeah because I feel like it's evolved enough and changed enough that we didn't even have our tiers correctly defined I've changed my whole definition of the tiers. Um, so there's a lot of communication that has to happen first as we build that culture and making sure that all of the staff knows that everyone's involved in this for every single child in the building. Uh, so there's a lot of communication is kind of setting the norms and it begins with that communication team. So we immediately came back and we had a district RTI meeting where admin could send up to three staff members from their building. Didn't matter who it was, they could send three. And we started um, our message really of here's what RTI is going to evolve into. Now the one thing that was really important for me was I'm not asking you to change anything today. I just need you to listen because it's going to change. Mm -hmm. And at the end I asked them, I said, does anyone raise your hand if I ask you to go back to your building and change anything? And they didn't. I go, now raise your hand if I overwhelmed you with information. And they didn't because we're going to move slowly with this. It's a year and a half is our goal mm -hmm. uh, to kind of change our RTI process. Right. And so, uh, again, establishing that, getting the, the leaders on board, the team on board, um, also setting a side of a year and a half um, is something that I think we've just talked about in our last one about, okay, here's begin with the, the end in mind, right? So here's where we want to get. Um, and then now we got to work on the process uh, of getting there. And while it might be slow, it could seem fast to some, um, depending on how willing they are to change or not change with the things that they do. I'm glad you use the word process. <laughs> uh, I have one of the principles, and I love her to death, and she is a, a fast starter, a green on the Kobe mm -hmm. index. And mm -hmm. She wants to take off mm -hmm. and, and start racing. And I told her in particular, I was telling the whole group, I told her in particular, I said, uh, trust the process. Yeah. And uh, our survey at the end after the, our meeting, I send out a survey always to, how can we do better? Mm -hmm. And I put in there, are you going to trust the process mm -hmm. to the whole group? And, of course, I have my picture of Joel Embiid yeah. uh, strangling somebody yeah. who yeah. was not trusting the process. <laughs> um, but it is a process, and we've done initiatives before and probably had false starts where we tried to go too quickly. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have the buy-in we needed from everyone. Mm hmm so it's important to do this one right, so we're, we're working slow on it. And so the next part on here you talked about is the connections to the PLC. Is that what you're kind of envisioning? Um, is that when you establish that efficacy among your leadership groups that it tw trickles into the PLCs, or what are you kind of thinking with those personalized learning, standards-based instruction kind of point there? So all of those things to me are connected. Mm -hmm. So this all for one to be successful, they all have to be successful. Right. So... With the PLCs, we, in the past, would do these separate RTI meetings, and we would come and we discuss students 
where I really feel now those initial conversations should be happening in the PLC. Right. Uh, if it's tier one, tier two kind of things, that needs to be happening in that grade level team in the PLC. Mm-hmm. Uh, those conversations to identify those students. Uh, and then it goes right to, uh, you know, I put standards-based grading on my graphic, but standards-based instruction really of what are our priority standards? Mm-hmm. That's what we call them Lindbergh priority standards. Some people call them power standards. Some people call them essential standards. Mm-hmm. But right. we identify, like, at the end of the year, what are the things that these students need to have mastered at this right. grade level? Right. Uh, sometimes we call them buckets. And it's like, mm-hmm. did we fill their bucket in mm-hmm. this standard? Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are the things we have to target because there's no way mm-hmm. you can get everyone successful on every single standard. So we identify, you know, usually about eight or nine standards per subject in a grade level. And we really have to go after those. And then when we're doing interventions, Tier 1 and Tier 2, they really need to be targeting those essential or priority standards. So a couple things you said there that jumped out. Um, One thing, um, uh, being in the Fox District, an adjustment that we made um, is really kind of interesting for a student to really take the next step in RTI, we actually have to have all the grade level team members sign off on it, um, which signifies that they brought the child to the PLC, that they've talked about the child in the PLC, um, whether that means with a group or when we're looking over our data. Um, And so I think that's a big piece of the puzzle because um, getting input from those around you or, hey, that child matches up with a kiddo in my class, we can make a group out of this because a lot of times it's working smarter, not harder. Um, And then also identifying those essentials. Um, In a previous podcast, we talked about how to stay focused. uh, And we actually looked at it from a leadership aspect, how to stay focused on the the goals that you created. But if you don't have those goals well-defined, you'll be kind of out there swimming, right? And so I think that's uh, something interesting too, to the point of like, how are you even, okay, how are you going back to those eight or nine, 10 essentials or power standards or, or whatever you call them and making sure or, or, or how visual are they? And I think that's important. So that's, that's all great stuff uh, as we move along through there. And then you have skill versus will. Uh, so the skill versus will is really on the RTI pyramid. Mm-hmm. If you look at it, we kind of have the the grade level team, the PLCs are on one side, and they're going to take care of a lot of the academic piece, and that's where the skill part is. Mm-hmm. We need to teach these children the skills that they need to master these standards. On the other side becomes the school team, and those are some of the things that have to be set up for an entire building, and a lot of that sometimes is going to be behavior, social, emotional stuff. Um, so when I was principal at Dressel, we had kind of this matrix of expectations around the building that Mm -hmm. when you're in the hallway this is what we expect when you're in the restroom this is what we expect and it's kind of those things have to be taught on that will side because those are the students who they might have the skill but maybe they don't have the will to do it for Mm -hmm. whatever reason so when we have to work with them and social emotional learning probably falls more into that side that becomes sometimes it's outside of that classroom outside of that plc but it's more of a what are we doing in the building to make sure that we're motivating these children and giving them the will uh, to meet these expectations you know i think that's so powerful what you just said um so here's something that has come to my mind a lot lately and i'll kind of share what we've done here is that kids show up to school every day And as educators, we are constantly, a lot of us are constantly thinking about how can I get an inch here? How can I get an inch there, right? And we are doing so much work 
to help these kids learn, yet how many times do we even convey to the students what the point of school, I mean, like, in general, why are you learning this? Or why are you taking the NWEA assessment? Why are you taking the MAP assessment? Why are you taking any assessment? Um, we are motivated as educators to help them learn. And then, but we forget about talking to the child and building up that will in them to learn and move themselves. Why are you doing a benchmark assessment? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's a, I, I don't know, something about A, B, you know, whatever level. And so we've really taken a step just here at Merrimack within the last month or two about having personalized conferences. And it is amazing when you sit down with kids and say, um, you're here. Uh, I'll give you a quick example. I had a fourth grade teacher last year, uh, Mrs. Cufferly. She asked her kids, how many of you think you are on grade level in reading? Almost a whole, you know, almost a whole classroom went up this halfway through the year. Then she pulled them up and showed them where they were on the Fontas and Pinnell scale. Just blew some of them away. Just, but you know, just because I'm in fourth grade, you know, I, I should be here. And so, next thing you know, guess what? She's getting post-its from kids. Hey, can you benchmark me? Can you? Ben-? I mean, immediately it changes the dynamic when kids are invested and understand why they're even here. Um, and so, we've seen and and we're implementing more things, I think, around that. And that was something we've talked about as well. Uh, and a lot of teachers do it, but I think for those those that don't, it's it's important to step back and go, why why would they even be motivated? Uh, to learn this, especially our learners that are struggling, um, what what's the what's the end game here? You know. So one of the things that um, I've got a little chart here I pulled up to look at. So a lot of this, a lot of stuff we talk about. I need to give some credit to some people real yeah. quick before I forget. So John Hattie, a lot of the stuff we do right. uh, are his strategies, visual learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to talk about. I want to come back to that, but. I want to say Luis Cruz, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the strategies we use come from him. Mike Matos, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of stuff comes from him as well. And Brian Butler also, who is uh, does a lot of the elementary work for Solution Tree. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Robert Marzano, yeah. which I want to get to proficiency skills when you were talking about do the students know what they have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about that a little bit. But uh, one of the, the charts they shared with us, and this was a Marzano chart, is that uh, it's kind of giving feedback, and if you just tell the students what their score is, you actually have a negative mm-hmm. impact yeah. on their learning. Yeah. So if you just go back, you got a 78%, that's it. <laughs> it actually has a negative effect right. on them. And then actually going down the strongest where you can increase by like 26 percentile points on their student achievement is graphically portraying their student achievement. So. Uh, I know those leader in me schools that do data binders mm-hmm. yeah. and students kind of graph out yeah. whatever assessments or yeah. whatever growth you're going to, whether it's reading levels yeah. or progress on NWEA or yeah. whatever it is, uh, that has a profound effect on student achievement. Yeah, that's awesome. And this is all research based over hundreds of thousands of yeah. studies, so it's not just me winging it here and making no, it up. No, you're 110% right, and I love it because it's getting me going on us sitting down with kids and we just showed them a colored chart for their NWEA scores and they're like, oh, I'm going to get the orange. I'm going to get the yellow. You know, it becomes a game to them, but it's motivating at the same time. You know, we really are moving and we're going to do in in the future. My next step next year is with those visuals. Our K1 and 2s all have their levels or one and two have their reading levels uh, portrayed and you can see where they're you've got to create that extrinsic motivation to remind them why they're doing what they're doing when they're sitting there reading 
alone, well, why am I doing this? That's why, you know? Uh, so one I think the, it's great. One of the things I wanted to do at Dressel before I left Dressel to go over to Central Office was more of the gamification. Yeah. Because I think yeah. kids, they're... It's very relatable to video games when they can achieve something. They can get this badge or Mm -hmm. move to the next level. So it is motivating. Play the game. Not everyone, but a a big majority of the students uh, are motivated by that. Yeah, absolutely. You're spot on there. I'm a big – I would even say – I say I'm a big believer. It's just been a dawn on me this year. I mean, it seriously has is like, okay – we, we talk about the gaming. Well, let's use it to our advantage a little bit. They want to get to the next level. Let's get show them how to get to the next level. And I think, obviously, uh, getting parents on board, that is huge, too. So you kind of talked about all means all earlier. Um, win time is something interesting I'd like to hear your take on because it's something that we, and I say we, uh, some schools in our district have really bought into. Um, but it's tough within a schedule when you have to get a lot of things in. So what are, what are your thoughts on win time, and what does win stand for for those that don't know? So win time for us is whatever I need. Right. So for any student, whatever they need, uh, we're going to try to provide some time. And it becomes the perfect time for us to do, if we need to do, Tier 2, Tier 3 interventions. It becomes time in your schedule built in where you can do that. Um, so some buildings, I've asked all the elementaries, I said, everyone has to have win time. I said, I don't care exactly how you do it, uh, but you have to have this time built into your day. So a lot of them will build it straight into the master schedule so that when we have special education teachers or our tier three reading intervention, they're not tripping over each other Mm -hmm. with grades having at the same time. But I think it can be as simple as, you know, hey, fourth grade, make sure you've got three blocks of win time in your schedule this week. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's I think there's a lot of ways to do it. Mm-hmm. I think probably the the best way is to build it right into the master schedule, and you take a few minutes from here and a few minutes from there and mm-hmm. get yourself that 20- or 30-minute block right. a day for this. And then we try to do a lot of our Tier 2 within readers, writers, or math workshop, mm-hmm. uh, the small group instruction. Mm-hmm. But when you need a little bit more time, mm-hmm. and this is where PLCs become very important also because – the grade level team has to work together because when it's really powerful, they're sharing students. Yeah. And maybe yeah. it's within one subject, maybe it's within math. Mm-hmm. And hey, I need, I'm going to take these kids and I'm going to work on this standard with them. And you take this group and you work on mm-hmm. this standard with these guys. And we start to share students and it becomes very fluid and very flexible. Hey, I need you this week. We're going to work on some basic number sense, but then next week I don't. Right. I got you caught up. Mm-hmm. And that's what RTI really is, is filling those buckets and that essential standard up and then catching them back up where they need to be mm-hmm. and moving them along. What we don't want them is to get stuck into a program where, hey, you're going to be in this program for three <laughs> straight years and never escape. Yeah. Yeah, and I, so I, the wind time is something that uh, in our district uh, – building down the the way here Clyde Hamrick really jumped on board with that and, and we kind of uh, grabbed greatness from them and kind of looked at their structure with that and and having it within ours and it's you know it's actually a good time too for those students on the uh, the higher end of the scale um, whether it be through um, an online program where they're get, being able to have built-in time where they are they're challenged um, and it could be an electronic matter uh, which is fine but I think that the biggest step in win time and I say the biggest uh, thing that holds teams back is working as a team it's the number one thing you know when i've been in uh when i came from blevins elementary um, and then wild horse elementary as a teacher 
and then now at Merrimack, it, it simply comes down to the PLC. Uh, and it's, it feel like it's the biggest brick wall to jump over kind of as you're building your life as a PLC. And, and we look at the seven stages of an effective PLC and you get down to four or five and you're just going to keep running into the wall unless you are able to let the walls fall down around you and really start that sharing um, and take that competitiveness out of it and share as if all not only can all kids learn, but all fifth graders are mine, and I'm responsible for all their learning. All means all. That's yeah. the collective responsibility. They're all our kids, and yeah. we're helping. And they have to, you know, give up that ownership and be willing to share and and, and give up a student. Uh, yeah. You mentioned kind of the enrichment piece, but uh, that falls extensions. What we call it falls directly. It's tier two. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the students need yeah. extensions. So if you look at tier one, is prevention. And then tier two as intervention mm-hmm. or extension, mm-hmm. and then our tier three is remediation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, we make time in there, and then it all fits with the personalized learning. A lot of our elementary schools use personalized learning menus with their students. Right. Usually as simple as a must do, may do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you're working in tier two at this point, we've got these. We're trading students, and we're working on these groups. Those students who have mastered those standards are in their personalized learning menu. Right. And they're working on some independent work. Maybe it's Genius Hour. Maybe mm-hmm. it's Passion Project. Maybe right. it's part of their PBL they're working on. Right. Uh, but the learning doesn't stop, and it allows the staff or the teachers uh, to get time with those students whom they need to spend a little bit more time with. And, you know, uh, I'm going to kind of – you start talking about all those different things. It's so important – that if this is going to work, that you establish a culture in your classroom as well. So you can take RTI and put it on the shelf for just a second. But to have all these things going, you have to have kids that are independent and understand learning is important and that I'm constantly learning in this classroom so that they're not always constantly going to the teacher as a sage on the stage or whatever. You're the facilitator, and they know I've just got done with this. I am here. It's a, there's a management aspect to this as well um, that's huge to make sure it can work because for you to maximize time, you can't be constantly interrupted. So kids have to know where they stand, where they need to go, and what their options are to get there. You know, that's a huge piece. I think the menus help with that. It makes it mm-hmm. visual for the kids. And I would say that probably the, the main thing where we've had success with that is when you give students some voice and choice in yeah. the classroom right. where there's multiple ways you can show your mastery of this standard. Mm-hmm. You know, just pick how you're going to show me your learning. Yeah. And you have some choice in what you're going to write about, what you're going to read about. Uh, students are a lot more engaged when they have some choice right. and, and it's authentic to them. They know why they're doing it. Absolutely. So you, you talked about each of the tiers, but you just briefly kind of hit it and you had on the, the notes here about clear definitions of the tiers. I think this is something that I, even if you kind of reiterate some of the points you made, I just want you to take some time on because I do believe um, that e- that's the one thing I've found in our RTI journey is that we, I think it was last school year, at the beginning of the year, like literally that was a big light bulb for us is that some staff weren't clear on the tiers. So how do you, you know, move forward? So we literally, that was our back to school, I think, PLC or one of our first PD days is here's definition. So what, what do you kind of find with those tiers and how do you guys going to define those? So our tier one, we were pretty solid on that. Yeah. Uh, it's everybody gets tier one. This right. is for everybody. Mm-hmm. You have an IEP, you have a 504, you are an ELL student doesn't matter. You're still getting tier one. This mm-hmm. is for everybody. Uh, where we were confused a little bit was two and three. Yeah. Um, and we had some 
we oversimplified it maybe to, well, tier two is small group instruction and tier three is a different program and increase the frequency and duration. Uh, and research out there has kind of made that evolve a little bit. And our tier two really is still within the classroom. And that's where those grade level teams, the win time, the mm -hmm. PLCs are going to work with each other. Um, small group instruction that happens in readers, writers, and math workshop is now when you can see that, hey, here's one of these priority standards and this, this group of students is struggling with, I need to find some time to get with them as a grade level teacher. And maybe that's me in my classroom or maybe my fifth grade team comes together and we figure out a plan of how we're going to share students at win time. But that really is the tier two and that's we're intervening now on mm -hmm. those essential standards. We've mm -hmm. noticed a deficiency. I got to get you up to speed before the end of this year on these. I got to fill your bucket in mm -hmm. these eight buckets. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where that happens. And then tier three, that's when you might leave the classroom and you're going to go meet with a specialist. So our reading intervention program where students will leave and they'll have either LLI instruction or uh, Orton-Gillingham mm -hmm. multisensory approach right. to reading. Um, that would be our tier three at this right. point. Right. Now the trouble is sometimes to find that tier three in math and that tier three mm -hmm. in writing. Reading's easy for us uh, to find those programs. With the others, you know, we still have some gaps in our tier right. three that we right. have discovered we need to uh, repair. Yeah, I would say that's always constantly something we are battling with, too. I'm lucky here at Merrimack we have a Title I uh, math teacher as well, which allows us some more intervening on that time. Um, but that does challenge us, too, when you have a child going to the reading intervention, to the math intervention, and then they're pulled out of that classroom. You know, So those are all things that we're at a work in progress on that model is how do we get those times all working together. Um, so one of the things you have on here is tier two is in the workshop model. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this because this is something to me that's evolved and you kind of touched on it a second ago, but especially in reading, right? So in reading, uh, so a lot of this is coming out of Brian Butler's work um, and he works in elementary level and he showed a model of, and this was a, an epiphany for me. I was like, oh, well, that's, we're already doing that. Mm -hmm. We just weren't labeling it correctly. Right. Uh, so let's say making inferences is our priority standard in fourth grade, let's say. Mm -hmm. And if I've got some students who I've recognized through my instruction, I'm doing my tier one instruction and I'm, we're moving on and we're doing small group instruction and readers workshop. Mm -hmm. And But I realize over time I've got a, a group of students, these four students, they still are struggling with this standard. It's at that point where when I'm pulling that small group instruction, instead of reinforcing maybe what was in that mini lesson or maybe I would need to add a day for mm -hmm. this or maybe it's at win time, but I need to make sure I intervene with those students in my own classroom. Mm -hmm. So in the past, we'd think, oh, we need to send them out to a specialist or someone else is going to have to do something different with them. No, it's still, we're using the same programs, same teacher. We're just spending a little bit more time right. on that essential standard. Which all goes back to the identification of essential standards because, you know, what does it matter? If you don't have those, yeah. you're not going anywhere because you have to target those. And that's, you know, it's staying uh, the eye on the prizes. So, and I think it's Matos, you said, you know, Mike Matos says, you know, if you hit all those standards, we'd be K through 22 schools. Yes. You know, and so we have double the amount of time. And, and we've gone through that process. But as you and I are talking, uh, we have a PD day coming up here in a few months. And I already kind of had planned that we need to do some vertical alignment. But that's it. 
that's important too is because making sure that those essential standards build you know it's it's one thing to have kindergarten have essential standards first grade have essential standards standards but if we're all over place, we're kind of having kids go all over the place. So I think down the line, while the PLCs have to be solid, then I think that next step is having those essentials align in your building and in your district, obviously, right? Yeah, so we really did a lot of that work at the district level. Uh, moving to standard-based grading report card, uh, we had to develop the proficiency scales for each of those standards. So the first step is, okay, what are our priority standards? Mm-hmm. And I'm fortunate enough to work with a, a team of curriculum authors. We have some teachers who uh, they'll get together once a month and they do a lot of our curriculum work, get some professional learning in how to write curriculum, how to write high-quality assessments, and they're the ones who are working on our proficiency scales. Mm-hmm. And they also, to, to tie it back to that visualization or gamification, Uh, These proficiency scales, when you can sit down with a student and show them, let's say it's a four-point scale, ours is a four-point scale, is like, if a student comes up, why am I a two and not a three? You bring the scale out and say, okay, well, you're doing all these things, but we still need to do a little work here, Mm -hmm. and you can just show them. And then the parents can see that. Hopefully the student can articulate that at home with the parents. It's like, why did you get a three and not a four? Well, it's because I'm doing these things, but I can't quite do this yet. Yeah. yeah. So it's that growth mindset yet. Absolutely. And and I think anytime you can give visuals and make it as as basic as possible for kids, for for parents, you're going to get more uh, buy-in on that. So one of the things you talk about is flexible and fluid. Um, what are you, what are you talking about when you say flexible and fluid? So kind of going back to what we were just talking about with the tier two in the classroom. Um, in the past, we would identify a student as needing intervention, just reading intervention, mm-hmm. but maybe not on targeted standards. Like mm-hmm. we wouldn't say, "Hey, this student needs work on these two standards." We would just say, "Hey, this student didn't do well in this reading assessment." stick them into reading intervention, mm-hmm. and we'll lock them away there forever, yeah, year yeah. after year after yeah, year. Yeah. Uh, so we really have to change our, our focus to what do we really need to work on this student with? Because mm-hmm. they probably have some skills. There are probably some things in there, and we have to target, you know, really what is the priority for that student. Right. And once we can catch them up, you know, let's get them back into Tier 1 most of the time and, and make room for another student. So it's... Right. It's those flexible groups where, hey, this week I'm meeting with these students, but then next week it might be a whole different group right. of students. Right. And I'm going to send these students across the hall to this teacher to help out with, mm-hmm. but next week, tomorrow, could be completely different. Yeah, and I think people get a little wrapped up in that and thinking, oh, it's got to be this often. You know, when I was teaching fifth grade, we did it, and, and again, it, it, it could have been more, but we started with every Friday. You know, and Friday was our um, day that the gifted students uh, took off for a little while. So our classrooms were a little bit smaller that day. And uh, we would pick out certain, like for us, we'd have four teachers. And in math, we would pick out four different concepts or four different areas that we saw students were struggling. And we might even rotate all the kids through. Um, Or we might break them up uh, based on what they need. So, I mean, I think there's so many different ways to do it. I think the natural inclination for teachers is to panic. Like, I got to do it right now, and I got to do it every day for this amount of time. And it's like, no. One bite at a time. Yeah, a little bit goes a long, long, long way. And also, 
a lot of people will hear this and then they want to go do it tomorrow. And again, uh, one of the things I've really learned over the last couple of months is what is the process and what are we even doing? Just because we're doing it doesn't mean we're doing it well. Um, Dr. Patel talks about that all the time of like, okay, we're, we're having kids self-assess, but then what? I mean, great, you have them self-assessed, but what are we doing with that? And so, um, you know, my third grade has done a really good job of saying, okay, how can we how can we get resources that meet the needs of our students, and how can we implement it? And so, maybe it's you you, you got to do the research, you got to find the things that work, and then implement it, not just throw things out there and hope they work. You know, and I think you have to get past the assumptions too. I think we carry a lot of assumptions in with student learning. And one of the things that we did is in that building of the culture and climate, too, I used the, uh, so I stole this, I think from Luis Cruz, of you've got to tape up the baseboards and prime the walls before you can paint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to get the room ready uh-huh. before you can put that paint on. Uh-huh. And one of the things we did was work on, you know, what are our assumptions about learning and come to those conclusions that not all students learn at the same time. Mm-hmm. Not all students learn at the same pace. Mm-hmm. Um, just some students don't have the same prior knowledge and skills that other students do. And I think classroom teachers know this, but sometimes I think we lose sight of it when we start to talk as a grade level or as a school. I think in a classroom, teachers have a really, they understand their students and they know their students, but then we kind of start to lose sight of it as we start looking at the bigger picture sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we but panic. not every kernel pops at the same time. Right. Yeah. And it's, and it, it causes panic. I think, uh, when we look at the big picture, but I think that's, uh, that's important. And one of the things we've talked about is understanding your role in the child's education process and understanding that if they're at a certain level, more than likely, you're not going to get them to the, the 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 sixth level up from there overnight. But you've got to do the best you can in that process. You know, it's kind of like um, I always look at being on a baseball field. Second baseman has to be the best second baseman for that team to succeed. He, the second baseman can't go play shortstop, third, all pitch. Has to focus on that part of the process. Um, and that word process has come a lot up here in our previous podcast. And a guy named Jeff Spencer that I got through uh, talks about how we have to set right goals, not just smart goals, but right goals. And the right goal has to really be based on if I go through the process, can I get there? Um, and not getting overwhelmed and being right in the process. One of the things, and Mike Mandos was talking about this, is that some students will need Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3 all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I struggle with that a little bit as a math guy because I'm like, oh, it's hard to give you that Tier 1 math when I need to build these foundational skills in Tier 3. Uh, so it's difficult, but it. But I also understand the point if you always teach a child below grade level, they will remain be below grade, grade level. Yeah. So it's uh, I guess it's not easy work. Uh-uh. It's not easy work at all, but it is you have to target. And like I said, you have to set the right goals. Uh, one of the things that with our team, um, I had to do, did a little visualization exercise with right. them. And I said, and I told them, I said, I failed students in the past. I think back now of students I had as a fifth grade teacher or as a building principal and it's like, nah, I didn't do enough. Mm-hmm. So I had them just to kind of get them in that right frame of mind for the all means all to think about a student who struggles at school. Mm-hmm. Maybe they struggle in reading. Maybe they struggle in math. Maybe they struggle with behavior. Maybe they struggle just to get to school. 
And then I, I asked them, if we don't intervene in some way, you kind of talked about taking that one step or one inch while ago. If we don't intervene in some way, what's next year going to look like for that student? Mm-hmm. What's five years from now going to look like for that student? What's 10 years from now? Mm-hmm. And there's some statistics out there of students who we don't get up to reading on grade level and how that affects dropout rates and then what dropout rates do for adults mm-hmm. in their life of how much they earn or um, whether or not they go to jail. Mm-hmm. And it's scary stuff. And it really all starts back in the primary classroom, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah. And, and I just yeah. had them think about it. And it's like, you know, what's one thing you can do? Think about that kid. What's one thing you can do to help them out? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a small thing. Yeah. You, I've bought kids alarm clocks before. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. Oh, my gosh. We could probably have another podcast about that. And, you know, the attention that the, that the kiddos get to know that. I, and I think most kids, the vast majority of kids would tell you, my, my teacher cares about me. But when that teacher personalizes it, um, you know, I can think of a certain situation. We have a couple kiddos struggling with attendance, and it's the same thing. Okay, I have a choice. I can either blame it on this person, blame it on that person, or I can just kind of call them in and see, how can we get to the bottom of this? And you know what's amazing is just a little bit of effort will go a long way with kiddos um, and and showing them that that I'm in this with you. I know you're struggling. Recognize that I know you're struggling, um, but we're gonna we're gonna dig out of this hole. And it was it. Um, oh man, the big grading guru. Um, uh, da, 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 da. He talks about being in the hole and who who's the teacher that's gonna jump down in the hole with you. Um, and instead of just kind of waving at you from the top, oh, how is it down there? And then, and by getting in the foxhole, jumping down in there and going, I'm going to get you out of here one step at a time. You know, that's yeah, Luis Cruz kind of along with this, he's, he gave us three guiding principles. And uh, one of them was hope is not a strategy. So we can't just hope that they're going to get out of the hole. And uh, this one was the most important one to me is don't blame the kids. Mm-hmm. And then make sure everything stays. It's all about the learning. Mm-hmm. Because we can blame a lot of different things. And that's years ago, I remember that was one of the things we struggled with with RTI meetings was we'd go in and just come up with all the excuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they can't do this, they can't do that, and, and here's why they can't do it. And it's like, never mind all that. Let's just focus on the learning. What are we going to do to affect their learning? Right. Right, and uh, and that the what are you going to do is a big piece. I know leadership team wise, and um, we we've established an RTI team here. We've had the last year and a half, and and it's kind of that process where they go through the PLC within their and within their team. They gather that data. They get to a point where the team believes, yeah, we need to kind of go to the next step. But that next step is not just hey, go test them. For us, it's you come to an RTI team which has SPED teachers, interventionists, and all those on the team, and then we talk about that and we compare that data and some of those conversations are the most rich conversations because there are a lot of things out there and the solutions are vast you know of what that can be is it a motive will versus skill that type mm-hmm. of stuff and i think that's that's an ultimate place you want to get to having conversations about and kids. identifying that is is it the skill or is it the will mm-hmm. i mean you have to identify that immediately right and kind of one of the other bubbles on my little graphic there yeah. is uh, the high quality assessments. Yeah. As you mentioned data, we have to have good common assessments yeah. uh, to get some data on these students, so we know, and it, you know, and those assessments are written to those priority standards, so we know exactly what we're targeting mm-hmm. and where they're at. 
uh, and what to work on. Yeah. And then those conversations start to happen in the PLC, and then yeah. it all folds into the RTI. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's all interconnected. It is. And I think that uh, if you look at them separately, you'll be overwhelmed. If you look at them and how they work as a well-oiled machine together, you'll see that, oh, this is, okay, I see how this all plays well together, how it all they plays They have to together. work together. Yeah. So in, in kind of wrapping this up in a nutshell, uh, you go to Wisconsin, you come back with this. If we're sitting here a year and a half from now, you know, what, what is your vision in general and hope um, that a year and a half from now through your work you guys are able to accomplish with this? So I think what we'd like to see is you would see consistency across our district. You would see the priority standards leading the RTI process. And you would see the PLCs as kind of the, the front runners of making sure that RTI is working mm-hmm. and that we're catching kids up on these essential standards in their grade level. And it's, it's flexible. It's fluid. Kids are moving in and out of when they need Tier 2. And that if you would go to any of our buildings, we would have a nice clear definition of Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3, which is something we're still working on. That's awesome. And all means all. So we're doing this for everybody. Yeah. I think that's a great point to end on. All means all. And it has to be believed believed in the heart of every student, of every uh, staff member. And it doesn't. When I say staff member, I don't say teacher. Staff members, um, because every staff member has an influence on a child, negative or positive. So, uh, I want to thank Dr. Hamby for coming in today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man, it was awesome. Uh, a lot of learning. I kind of got deep in the process, going back and forth. It was pretty sweet. So, uh, I want to thank him for sharing our learning. As a reminder, you can always uh, hit us up if you want to get in touch with Dr. Hamby, where can they reach out to you? So Lindbergh Schools, so the email is chamby at lindberghschools.ws or go to Lindbergh website and you'll be able to find me in the teaching and learning department. All right. And as always, if you want some more information, we've had some people hit us up about the grit score and different, different things all over the country. So it's really uh, been awesome. Lead on the go at gmail.com. Uh, you can always hit Dr. Looning, Dr. Wellborn and myself up on Twitter.